0: Well, good morning, and I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 9. We're going to be looking at verses 30 to 37. I want to just start with the, the the section of this passage that we need to really take a look at today. And that is when it says in verse 34, and they disputed among themselves who would be the greatest. This is the disciples. They are disputing among themselves who would be the greatest. And he sat down, called the twelve, and said to them, if anyone desires to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. That's what we're going to try to look at today. You know, it seems to me that we're throwing this term, the goat, around a lot nowadays in, in a lot of areas, especially athletics. Goat means the greatest of all time. So we don't know. Uh, greatest of all time is dependent on who's answering the question. So if you're talking to my son, the greatest quarterback of all time is Tom Brady, right? He's, he's kind of in, this, not in, in the majority. That's no longer a deal anyway. Uh, is, it, is it Michael Jordan or LeBron James? Is it Tiger Woods or is it Michael Phelps? All of these men excel in their sports. They are truly great players. Are they the greatest of all time? You know, the earliest example of this term, the GOAT, uh, comes from Muhammad Ali. Uh, In 1992, his wife, Lonnie Ali, incorporated this company called uh, Greatest of All Time, Inc., and she was gonna use that uh, to consolidate and license her husband's intellectual property. properties and commercial pur- for commercial purposes. Now I happen to, I mean like I've been in the same room as my, Muhammad Ali, did you know that? We were in the same room. But I, I need to go on and explain that. He came to the Philippines when my family lived in Manila for what was called the Thrilla in Manila. How many of you ever heard of the Thrilla in Manila? Raise your hand, okay. I mean it was the deal. Manila was a buzz as Muhammad Ali and smoking Joe Frazier uh, landed in the Philippines and went to visit the president before the fight that took place in a large coliseum called the Araneta Coliseum. And my dad, who was so cool, decided to take my brother, my sister, and I out of school so that <clears throat> we could go actually watch the fight in the coliseum. How cool was my dad? and we had the best seats you could ever imagine. We were at the very top of the Coliseum. I mean, we were so high up, I could touch the fiberglass that covered the inside of the dome, but we were there. And we watched Muhammad Ali and Joe Frazier battle it out. It was an amazing fight. Both men were quite injured at the end of that fight, and unfortunately, Muhammad Ali, who was not at all shy to call himself the greatest, he lost. Not a good day for him. Muhammad Ali, uh, you know, his, his signature statement was, float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. Some of you know it. My favorite joke about Muhammad Muhammad Ali was when he got on an airplane for a flight and the flight attendant came up and noticed that he had not put on his seatbelt. So she politely said, Mr. Ali, uh, would you please buckle your seatbelt? And he responded, Superman don't need no seatbelt. And she politely uh, responded as well, Superman don't need no airplane. Would you please buckle your seatbelt? Now, I don't even think that's true. I don't know if it's true, but I love that so much. It just fits them. You know, all of us want to be great, don't we? I mean, we, we want our lives to count. We want to we have value and meaning. Um, this desire to make a difference is a god-given thing that's within us. We are here for a purpose. We want to contribute. However, at the fall, all about everything about us got broken and our pursuit of greatness also got broken. And it seems that now, sometimes our pursuit of greatness is to succeed while others fail. I mean, doing something great, well, uh, that's always in comparison to other people. And apparently, this was a problem among the disciples. They were actually arguing who was the greatest among them. But let's read the whole passage. Verse 30 of Mark chapter nine. Then they departed from there and passed through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know it, for he taught his disciples and said to them, the son of man is, is being betrayed into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And after he is killed, he will rise the third day. Now listen to the response of the disciples. But they did not understand what he was this saying, and they were afraid to ask him. Verse 33, when he came to Capernaum, and went, uh, when he, he went into the house, he, he asked them, what was it that you disputed among yourselves on the road? But they kept silent, for on the road they had disputed among themselves who would be the greatest, And he sat down, called the twelve, and said to them, If anyone desires to be first, he shall be the last of all and the servant of all. Then he took a little child and set him in the midst of them. And when he had taken him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one of these little children in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, who does not receive me, uh, but him who sent me. Um, So... All of this stuff comes together under this topic of pursuing greatness. It's important for us to remember that in Mark chapter 9, we begin with the Mount of Transfiguration, followed by the the young boy who was demon-possessed, and the disciples had been unable to cast out the demons, and Jesus says, the problem is that you, 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 your prayerlessness made you not able to deal with this demon. So prayerlessness was, was the problem of the disciples. And Jesus really had taken these 12 men, and they were, they were in a training program that was 24-7. They listened to him teach, and they watched him work, and they followed him around everywhere he went. They were truly in a school of discipleship that included on-the-job training. And there's a couple topics that we want to look at out of this passage. Number one is we need a rescue. And he taught his disciples and said, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of men and they will kill him. And after he is killed, he will rise the third day. But they did not understand this saying and they were afraid to ask. You know, Jesus, when he came to earth, he did not come just to be a miracle worker and demonstrate God's gracious deliverance over suffering. He did not just come to be a great teacher and proclaim kingdom truths. The central reason for his coming was the cross, the tomb, and the resurrection. Now the disciples did not like that topic. I I have had conversations with my son James, and you know, there are sometimes A father has to have a conversation with their son about certain things that should be addressed. And my son James, he's not in the service, so I'll tell you, James is an awesome guy. He is 27 and he has Down syndrome. So he's a unique, unique guy and a delight to our family. But James, when I'm sitting him down and talking to him about, now James, we need to talk about what happened. And he'll look at me and he'll say, "Uh, Dad, uh, let's skip that one. I love that so much. This happens all the time, because apparently we have talks quite a bit. Um, Let's skip that one. In chapter eight of uh, of, of, of Mark, Jesus has already told his disciples, I am going I am going to be betrayed. I'm going to suffer many things at the hands of the elders and the chiefs, priests. I'm going to be killed. And three days later, I am going to rise again. And Peter actually rebukes Jesus. I mean, Peter has one of those, let's skip this topic, Jesus, moments. And, and so Jesus responds in a very direct and strong way when he tells Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. You only understand the things of men. You don't understand the plan of God. The plan of God actually included the fact that the Son of God would have to go and die on a cross to pay for the sin of the world. This time, when Jesus brings it up again, they don't understand, and they don't ask any questions. This whole idea of, Let's skip that topic, Jesus, was very prevalent among the disciples, especially around the topic. I don't like to hear about the fact that Jesus went to the cross. To read the details of the crucifixion of Jesus is one of the most painful things you can read. And then to think that Jesus had to do that in order to pay for our sin, to rescue us, to set in place the redemption of all things through his death, his burial, and his resurrection. But we need to take a good look at our lives and decide when it comes to being the greatest of all, are we pursuing greatness in a way that does not help the people around us? I mean, sometimes the conversations you and I need to have are to look in the eyes of our family members and our friends and see the trouble that exists between us? And rather than skipping the conversation, have the conversation. What, what, what conversations have we been avoiding? If, if, we, have, if we would admit that we've done something wrong and ask for forgiveness, that that would bring the relationship back to where it needs to be. I mean, if if we would extend grace to people and, and be willing to reconcile with people, this is the kind of conversations God would want us to have. What about our habits and our addictions or even the wounds of our lives that we need to bring out in the open and have a discussion about? Jesus in in John chapter three said that men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. Their deeds are evil. You know today, we need grace from God. We need grace to forgive. We need grace to be transformed. We need to have the conversations that we're trying to avoid. That's why we need mentors in our lives. We need people in our small groups and in our Sunday school classes, that we can ask to pray for us and have an honest conversation about what is really our struggle. Jesus tells his disciples in this passage for the second time, two chapters in a row, I'm going to have to die. What is wrong with the world is so serious, it's going to take nothing less than my death on a cross. We are so broken. We're no longer able to live the way we were designed to live. When Adam and Eve willingly ate the forbidden fruit and they, <clears throat> that God commanded them, don't eat that, they bought into the deception that Satan through the serpent had brought to them, and that was that God is holding out on you. And if you eat that fruit, you in fact will become, a you, you will know good from evil the offer was: you'll be the you'll be the king of your universe. You will be the one in charge. You will be able to lead the way. And when they did that, they brought destruction, and everything began to fall apart. Sin is not just something we do; it's a part of who we are. It infects every fiber of our being. It it affects our thoughts, our desires, our motivation. I mean. We don't need a little tune-up. We need a transformation. It was going to require the death of the Son of God for us to be rescued. Galatians 2.20. My dad would quote this verse often. It was his favorite verse. The Apostle Paul describes what needs to happen. Paul puts it like this. "I, I am crucified with Christ. That's pretty severe, isn't it? I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. But um, the life that I live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who gave himself for me. In this verse, Paul says, it is a radical transformation that required the death of the Son of God and his resurrection. God, who is holy and just and righteous, had to find a way to put our sin away while preserving his holiness. And the only way it could be done was for God to come himself in the person of his son. And Jesus would live a perfect life and be the sacrificial lamb of God who would die in our place so that he could forgive us. And that's what he did. Now, we're expert at minimizing our sin, but the truth is that our sin is so serious. It so destroys us. It's hard to to grab a hold of that. This whole idea that I'm trying to run away from God so I can sin and him not notice is actually, it's very counterproductive. It's actually an equation for personal disaster. Because if you and I get away with our sin, we allow that corruption to spread within our lives. We need to be running to God. And we need to say, God, I want you in my life. I, I, I love what I shouldn't love. I do what I shouldn't do. I need to be forgiven, I need to be free. We don't need to say to God as he brings conviction to us, I just skip that thing. What is the thing in your life that God wants to talk to you about today? What is the thing that has happened this week that you know you need to address? It would involve personal confession to God, asking for his forgiveness. It would very likely involve a conversation with the people that have been offended. It would involve restitution, but all of those efforts done with the power of God in us is a beautiful solution that pulls sin and its power out of us. Jesus has already paid. He says, I can forgive you. And then they needed to understand that it was a severe thing that Jesus had come, he was going to die. He was going to die. And he would, in his death, pay. And in his resurrection, he would begin the renewal of all things. It's the most exciting concept there is. It's, he's going to fix everything that is broken. Verse 33 When he went to Capernaum, he asked his disciples, what was it that you were disputing among yourselves on the road? And notice how they responded. They kept silent. They wouldn't answer him. For they had been disputing among themselves who would be the greatest. And he sat down. And that's what he told them. If anyone desires to be the first He shall be the last of all and the servant of all. And then he took a child and he brought the child in the middle and he picked up the the child. Why a child? When you serve a child, they have no capacity to to really give anything back to you. I, I tell you what, I've just been around my grandkids during the Thanksgiving week. It takes a lot of energy to run around a three-year-old. Let me tell you. I love them like crazy. But boy, it's an effort. And children require 24-7 care and grace upon grace upon grace. That's what they require. And Jesus looks at the disciples and he gives them sort of a physical illustration. You all are arguing You're arguing with each other about who will be the greatest. And he picks up the child. He says, you know what? If you serve the children who cannot repay you, you're moving very strongly into the position of being a servant. That's where greatness is. And once again, every one of us, we want our lives to count deep inside of us We want to have significance in our lives to have meaning. Uh, We don't want to have lived and died for nothing. We we want to do something significant. And and the the, the problem is sometimes in the process of that, in our brokenness, we can make ourselves the, the idol we serve. The greatest idol of all is the idol of self. I want what I want. I wanna be the best. I I, I wanna be the most successful. I wanna be the center of the universe. I wanna get everybody in my life to do what I think they should do and I want them to serve me the way I think they should serve me. Am I the only one that has these tendencies? Jesus says, no, that's, that's not what I want you to do. I want you to pursue greatness knowing that you will accomplish that in great acts of service. You will be most significant. Your life will have the most meaning, not because of how much power you have, not because of your position, or your possession, or your performance, but your life can, can be the greatest it can be when you and I are the servant of all. Do you wanna revolutionize your family, then your friend group? Then start being the greatest servant. Let the competition this Christmas in our families be who can serve the most, who is doing the best job to help the people around us, because that will radically change your family if your family is all about, well, who, who can we criticize today? Or who did the bad thing? Or whose who's apple pie was the best? Boy, it, I'm serious. Families can get all messed up because someone took my recipe. It, are you all listening to me? Do you live in the same world I live in? What if we went back to our families and our friends with this idea that we were going to be the servant? And I'm not looking for you to notice it. You know, in my family with five kids, I remember there was a time where a request would be made and, and all of the kids would ignore that, especially from their mother, who manages everything. You know what I'm saying? And she'd come back around. Hey, can somebody please go take the trash out? Can, can somebody please go and get me this? And, and then by their actions, you can tell they're all like, let's just skip that. So I told them one day, okay, I'm going to be the best servant in this group. And so I I started when the request came to immediately get up and go take out the trash. And I wasn't really doing this to shame them. But I knew as the father, I had to reset the culture of the family. Because honestly, I ignored it too. But the moment I started getting up, my kids would say, Dad, you don't need to do that. No, no, I want to serve. This is my goal. I want to be a better servant to your mom and to all of you in this family. And so I'm going to go do that. And I I remember how remarkable it was. It transformed the family dynamic. Now, we all backslide, but we remember that to serve each other is the best family we could ever live in. Husbands and wives, if you were to serve each other, this would lead you to God's best. When we inspire our children to believe that God has a plan and a purpose for their lives and we serve them and we encourage them. When we love our neighbor as ourselves, when we use our energy and our possessions for the glory of God and for the service of other people, we, we, we become the great people we desire to be because true joy comes when we serve others, not when we get served. Are we we living as the servants we were designed to be or are we trying to get others to serve us because we want to be the king we have proclaimed ourselves to be? you know we live in a very vulgar and angry society i mean this is seen in the way people speak i'm i'm sick and tired of all the bleeped out words or the first letter dot 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 and it, we all know and i'm i'm just like i'm i'm so tired of seeing all of this vulgarity in our papers in our news feeds i mean it's so sad that we have we have become this kind of of society, what if you and I, and you know, the problem is, when we live in a society that uses profanity and vulgarity and, okay, It it rubs off on us if we're not careful. You've got to fight the fight. We've got to make sure we're not jumping into that. And Ephesians chapter four says that even the way we communicate should be with a servant's heart. Ephesians four says this, let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as it fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear when we use profanity and vulgarity, it doesn't give grace to the moment. It, 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 it's, it's like throwing trash at each other. But we, if we were to pay attention that even our words, our unwholesome talk is not just vocabulary. Unwholesome talk goes all the way down to the intention of our heart. If we are generous and with a willing heart to serve We will use language that only builds each other up. Philippians 2. Let each of you look not only on his own interests, but also on the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with with God to to be a thing to be grasped, because he's already God, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Jesus, by example, shows us that greatness comes through serving. Why do we love Jesus so much? Because no one served us so well. You know, um, today, as a church, we're going to go and throw a Christmas party at Weller Elementary for the families of Weller Elementary. Weller Elementary is... a is a, a, a school just down the road. It's a title something. I can't forget, I forget what number it is. It's a school with a lot of need. They, we have adopted that school and have served that school for many years and continue to do so. And today, we're doing something that is not necessary. We're throwing a Christmas party for those families. And every kid that comes, We will give them vouchers so they can go into a room full of gifts that have been purchased and prepared by the people of this church. And it is so much fun to watch these little kids as they go from table to table spending their vouchers, picking out something and saying, oh, I think my mom would like that. And so the shopping person they have will help hold the gifts I have an older brother, I think he would like that. This would be great for my dad. And they load up all of these gifts and then they go to the gift wrapping section and our volunteers are there and they they wrap all of these gifts so that these kids take home gifts for their families. Oh my goodness, it's so much fun to watch. We're gonna feed them. Santa Claus is gonna show up and we're gonna take pictures. Do you know why we're doing that? Because if you and I will act as the servants we've been called to be, we can change the culture of this town. We can show up unexpectedly and give what was not expected with a heart of service in the name of Jesus. There's still time for you to volunteer. Show up at Weller Elementary at 2 o'clock. We'll put you to work. Why are we doing that? Because Jesus said, the greatest of all is the servant of all. This is not the default idea of a path to greatness. We're about achieving. We're about possessions, position, power, performance. And Jesus says, I know you think all of those things will make you great, and they will, but there's a better greatness that's available, and that is the greatness that comes to those who serve. You know, one of the most influential people in the last 50 years is a woman by the name of Mother Teresa. You ever heard of her? Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa felt a calling to go and to serve the poorest people in Calcutta, India. I mean, this woman was amazing She didn't do it just for a week or a month. She wasn't just on a mission trip. She dedicated her life to reach out to the poor and rejected uh, the untouchables in Calcutta, India. And this woman eventually was standing in front of the United Nations as a frail 75-year-old woman in a white sari with with the blue trim. And the New York Times wrote an article in 1985 and described the event like this. After a week of princes, presidents, and prime ministers, the warmest ovation of the United Nations 40th anniversary observances came tonight for a small woman in sandals and a sari. Mother Teresa, the founder of the Order of Missionaries of Charity, came from her work in the slums of Calcutta to the vaulted hall of the General Assembly to speak of poverty and love. And this is what she said. We gather to thank God for the 40 years of the beautiful work of the United Nations for the good of the people. Mother Teresa said, looking on to a capacity audience of a thousand diplomats and dignitaries, largely dressed in black tie and evening gowns, and this is what she said, no color, No religion, no nationality should come between us. We are all children of God. In her remarks, Mother Teresa also denounced abortion and referred uh, indirectly to a shelter for AIDS victims that she planned to build in New York. Missionaries of her order already were running a soup kitchen in the South Bronx. And she was very strong on abortion. Amazingly, this small woman could speak to power in a way that no one else. She said, when we destroy an unborn child, we destroy God. She said, we are frightened of nuclear war. We are frightened of this new disease, but we are not frightened to kill a little child. She said, abortion has become the greatest destroyer of peace. And this woman won in 1979 the Nobel Peace Prize. She also stood at the National Day of Prayer. Here she is, this tiny little woman in a white sari with a blue trim. I don't know if you've ever seen pictures of her. And she boldly proclaims that we should love and serve. And her life demonstrates the truth of what Jesus said. The greatest of all is the servant of all. And that's what Jesus calls us to. She concluded a speech at the National Day of Prayer with with this statement. If we remember that God loves us and that we can love others as he loves us, then America can become a sign of peace for the world. For here, a sign of care for the weakest of the weak and the unborn child must go out to the world if you are becoming if you are if you become a burning light of justice and peace in the world you then really you will be true to what the founders of this country stood for god bless you and with that she ended her speech in front of the president the vice president members of congress this woman had so much power and influence Because she served. Jesus says, that's what I want you to do. Jesus was the greatest servant of all when he, as God in the flesh, laid down his life and was crucified. And he died on a cross so that he could pay for the sin of the world. And he offers salvation to all who will receive it.